Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive in. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-e-changehappen.co.uk. You'll be able to catch up with all of the shows on iTunes, Spotify, and of course, all the other usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode nine, with the title, A Perspective from the First Black Openly Gay, Now Retired Police Officer. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Gamal Tuawa, affectionately known as G. And I first met G when we both spoke at a mentoring day for Sussex and Surrey Police Forces back in 2019. G describes himself as a diversity and dignity facilitator and who says his superpower is invisibility. So hello, G. Welcome to the show. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. So tell me. Why do we need a more open dialogue on race? I think we need a more open dialogue because there's a lot of um, emotions. There's a lot of emotions, deep emotions like anger, frustration, um, fear, all this in this mix that is in the middle of this dialogue. And until we get through that, we can't get to the point where we can start to talk to each other. And what I try and do is I try and be a bridge through those emotions to navigate that stuff so so that we can get to a place where we can actually hear each other rather than tell each other. That's the big thing I, I for me. I'm white. I watch I, I know people of, of all... Uh, skin mm. colors, ethnicities, and races. Mm. Uh, I predominantly have, I suppose, white friends uh, in my in my close circle, and I see a lot of dialogue in on Facebook and in the media and things that uh, people are kind of shocked by this sort of kind of the passion that's come out. Where's this come from? Where's this been mm. bubbling into? We 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 as white people thought it was kind of okay, but we got it wrong, didn't we? How, what, where did we miss? What did we miss here? I like to flip that question. I think what, what white people have missed is what it means to be white. Right? We, we ask people of color, like myself, black people, what is racism like to you? And we're expected to be the medicine and the cure. Mm. Uh, but the real question that I think is coming out now and from some of the dialogues and conversations I've been having is that white people are now sitting, getting to that point of saying, hang on, what does it mean to be white? What does mm. privilege actually mean? You know, what does this mean? And and that's the key question, because once you start to get that, the conversation can then start to flow. In Brilliant. the same I way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. And mm. I think when you've never experienced a, a lack of privilege, whatever that may be, mm. you really don't understand mm. what the impact of that is when when people glide through life without ever questioning who they yeah. are, their lived experience, it, it just becomes okay. And mm. many people don't realize what it's like not to have that privilege, do they? No, they don't. Um, it, it's the way I describe it is like there's two boxes. 
one box on top of the other box. And there's a group of people that live in the top box. And in that box, they don't see any of these issues. But it's their box. And they look around and when the people in the bottom box are saying, this is what it's like to be in the bottom, they're sort of like, we don't get that because they don't even acknowledge that the bottom box exists. Mm. It's, it's almost like in my world, I can't see this. So what you're telling me doesn't make sense. Mm. Yeah? And the barrier is how do we build a bridge between those two boxes that can move the boxes next to each other or even integrated with each other mm. rather than one on top and one on the bottom. I, I, love, I love the words you use there because one thing I've started talking about recently in the, in the DNI space when I talk yeah. is about building this empathy bridge. So what, yeah. I, what I need to do is, is take a position for my lived experience and your ex- experience. So I can create a bridge between our two experiences so I can, I can sometimes maybe use something I can relate to that I can apply it to what you're saying. Otherwise, all I do is I hear you, but I can't apply it. I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't have a reference point. So this is this empathy bridge that you, know, you use the word bridge and I love mm-hmm. that. And I think we will try and do is create this bridge because often I'm, I'm sure you find this as a, as a person with a minority characteristic, if you like, mm-hmm. you seem to be the one doing all the empathy. And actually, you want you want to share that responsibility, so we both meet in the middle of the bridge, rather than coming to my side or coming to your side all the time. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I always add to that is that I always try to remove the word understanding, right? Because I think on that word understanding becomes a big barrier to that building that bridge. Right? Mm. You will never understand the world I live in, no matter how much I try and describe it. Right? Mm. So it's not about understand. It's just about, to me, it's about appreciating that we live in different worlds. Um, I mean, I, I remember a conversation I had with a, a senior police officer a few years ago. And they were talking about trans issues. And they said, um, I really don't get trans issues. I can't get my head around it. And I said, it's not yours to get. And she looked at me and she goes, what do you mean? I said, all you have to do is appreciate that it's somebody else's world. That's the world that they live in. You don't have to get it. You don't have to understand it. You just have to appreciate that it's different to your world. And mm. and, and that's what people want, to be appreciated, to be recognized for who they are, not who you think they should be. Mm. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's, that's completely true. When you talk about identity, you don't have to get someone's identity. You just have to mm. embrace the fact that they have an identity and it's, and it's important to them. Exactly. 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 I cast myself as non-religious, but I, I, I don't try and disagree with somebody who has a faith or a belief because that's important to them. It's, I don't have mm. that. I, I accept and I recognize and I, and I celebrate the fact that that, that makes you special and that you're, that's, that's who you are. And I, yeah. I need to value you, including that element of your life. Yeah. And, and, and you just highlighted the other thing is the other thing for me is that identity is not fixed. We all mm. have multiple identities. You know, I mean, looking at this whole scenario, uh, and this, this movement that is happening at the moment, and I look at it, I can look at it as a black man. I can look at it as an ex-police officer as well. So, you know, there's so many different hats that I can use to look at this scenario. And I can look at it as a facilitator. Um, so I think the other thing is recognizing that our identity is not fixed. And sometimes I could be speaking to you, 
But I may be speaking to you as a facilitator, but you might be hearing me as a black man. So then the conversation gets kind of lost. Mm. So I think it's about being clear of where we're speaking from and how we're speaking. Yeah, and in a in a in a parallel way of, of bridging to what you've just said, I, I get that because often I, I see people talking to me as a trans person rather yeah. than talking to me as an entrepreneur, a businesswoman, a speaker, a trainer. Yes. They're, they're, they're seeing my primary identity of, oh, she's trans as being, and then there's all these thoughts in their head about whether that they're confused by that or not yeah. before. I have to wade through that. So uh, what you're saying there is, this is be building my bridge to you, is, is trying to relate to saying people are judging you as a black man first or a gay man first, or sometimes a gay black man first, before they understand your 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 perspective, intelligence, your insight, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and that's why I say uh, invisibility is my superpower, because mm. one of the things I, I I'd like to think I'm good at is when I'm facilitating groups, I get to a point where they forget that I'm black, they forget that I'm a gay man, and they get so engrossed in the conversation that I fade into the background and can work with the conversation. And that's, to me, to me, that's the beautiful thing about the work I do. I, I just think of you as G. It's, uh, but I, I, I don't erase your your gayness or your your blackness. I don't erase that because that's part of you. So I, as far mm. as I'm concerned, you, you, I would never describe you as my gay black friend. You're, you're G. You're, you're my friend. Um, but I understand that if, if I if I need some insight and perhaps some of the conversation we're having today, I know you're a great person because you have mm. the insight and the lived, lived experience that is valuable for, for, for the world, not just me. Yeah. And, and what's beautiful about, you know, relationships like yours and mine, Joe, is that what I like about my life is I've managed to meet and form relationships or friendships with people from across a wide spectrum. And to me, it's, it's not what a person is, it's who they are in their hearts. What do they stand for? What are their values? That's what I like to connect with. Yeah. I'm not, 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 not about whether they're this or they're that, but actually, do you believe in humanity? Do you believe we are, we work together? Do you believe we are one? Mm. Um, that's what's important to me. One of the things you picked up then is one of the things I've been working on recently is that there's a phrase people use, which is actually quite insulting. You know, when people say things like, um, uh, and I've had it said, it was said to me yesterday, actually, and says, you know, when I see you, I don't see your color. And I find that phrase, I'm so, my color is a very important part of my identity. You don't have to judge me by it, but recognize that it is a part of my identity. So when you don't see that, you actually don't see a part of me. Completely. And I say mm. that about many, many different people. Yeah. It's whilst I don't want to be known yeah. as, as, as Joe, the trans person, I, I want you to know the fact that I, that is part of my identity and that is what gives me some strength. And it's, yeah. cause I'm sure you, you have, you have resilience inside you that you would, it's come from your lived experience. Uh, and that's important to celebrate, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and one of the so, things, um, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say one of the things, and I don't know whether it's similar to, to, for, for people of the trans community, uh, but one of the things for me is I have had to work hard 
to value my blackness, to value my gayness. You know, I've had to, I, I, you know, it took me to the point of suicide. Um, you know, I, I didn't actually come out until I was in my forties, uh, early forties. And the reason why it took me so long is because I was listening to all the negative messages in the world that told me that being gay was wrong. Um, mm. I was listening to all the negative messages in the world that told me that being black, I was less than. And all of those things, all that negativity built up. And I say I was lucky to have a breakdown. I was lucky to get to that point of suicide because at that point, the question came up about, okay, who, who actually are you? And I remember being asked a question of um, who defines you? And I'm sort of like coming up to my forties thinking, I've never heard that phrase before. No one's ever actually asked me to define myself. I thought I had to be what people expected me to be, not who I could be. And I thought that for me to say, this is who I am was selfish. That was, that was my conditioning. That was my thought process. So Mm. to get to that point where I'm now saying I am a black gay man has taken a lot of internal battles and struggle and strife. So when somebody says, I don't see it or I don't recognize it, you're dismissing that battle. Hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, I I mean, as you're talking that, I'm thinking about, wow, this is so parallel. Um, Mm. I have the the same thing. Society says trans is misunderstood, it's discriminated against, you can be rejected, humiliated, you can lose your house, your car, your wife, your family, everything. Mm. Everyone's going to go. So being trans is bad and it's kind of weird. So you carry that through all your life and this is what keeps this secret in, isn't it? Because you're almost almost internalizing your own transphobia, your own homophobia against yourself. Uh, and think, oh, I shouldn't succeed. And then when you're open, you, you get always, I always talk about having this shield where you carry this in front of you going, you won't like me because I'm trans. You won't like me because I'm trans. Mm-hmm. And that kind of almost like influences every conversation where you're assuming you're going to get scrimmaged against all the time because you're trans. And the thing that got me out of bed when I was going through a very dark time, well, I, I wouldn't say I was thinking suicidal thoughts as, uh, at any point. But what I got to a point where I was seriously could not get out of bed. I could not function as a human being. And the thing that got me off this roundabout that I couldn't get off was saying, I am. And I am is a really mm. powerful thing. I am trans. Mm. Uh, that Then you don't have to explain it. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to find a reason in your perspective of why why am I trans? It doesn't matter. I just am. And they go, oh, that's the jigsaw. That's the missing piece of the jigsaw. I am. And when you said yes, that just then, yeah, yeah. I thought, wow, that is so powerful. Such a powerful thing to have, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the beauty of what you're saying there, this is why when I talk about when we, when we work together is that the labels at either end may be different. You know, whether it's black or trans or straight or gay or male or female, but the process in the middle mm. is exactly the same for all of us. We all have to come to terms with something about our identity at some point. And that, to me, is the key to the bridge building, finding that point where we all connect and then extrapolating it from there. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I consider myself a bit lucky where I, well, privileged. I, I've worked all over the world. I've worked in countries where mm. English isn't the first language. I've worked in Hong Kong and Singapore, where, where my skin color has been a minority. 
Um, I, I, I've been in, 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 in rooms, in meetings, in, in social situations in Germany where I don't speak German. Everyone has to speak in German. So I know what it's like to be not in part of the conversation. I know what it's feel like to feel included. And all of a sudden someone says, oh, Joe, sorry, we've left you out of that. And you go, uh, it's okay. And you'll just sit there mindlessly numb listening to these people talking German and you're not included in the conversation. So, and in Hong Kong, I, I very much felt that I was racially different to the majority there. Even though I was working in a, in a kind of a British bank with white, lots of white people out in society. I still found that people were looking at me strange because I was tall, big white person walking around. And I, and I felt this sort of kind of like weirdness of being a, a, a unique, if you like, or different. Uh, so whilst that doesn't go any way to, to, it's my empathy bridge to you to say, whilst I don't understand what it's like to be black, I can understand what it's like to be excluded or in a minority. And also, these are my trans experience. Yeah. I know what it's like to have people judge me by not necessarily the color of my skin, yeah. but my facial characteristics and my voice and my hand size. And that I get looked at on the tube. I get looked at uh, when I'm doing things. I get looked at when I'm buying a coffee. Yeah. And I, I, I pick up on these body language sides and, and say, mate, you yeah. may feel, well, oh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah big black man. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and mm. so you create a reaction. I create a reaction. So that's my that's my empathy bridge so i can when you say tell me those things i go i get it from my perspective i understand through my empathy bridge to you what that means Mm. and then if you take that to the next level it's almost like okay so now you have you understand what that means let's look at what that how we can work with that how do we how do we do what do we do with that that empathy Right. Mm. And when we start to work with that empathy, what we do is we start to value each other's dignity. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's where the real work, the real magic for me starts to happen is when we, we, we jump from our difference to our empathy to our dignity. Mm. And then it becomes a powerful and profound conversation. Hmm. Because we both understand we're both just human beings. We're both, yeah. we both live, love, want to do a great job, be recognized, be celebrated and, and enjoy our lives. That's, we both yeah. achieve the same. And our brains probably aren't that different. They were both pink or gray gooey masses you have in your head. Yeah. The rest of us is just, it's just skin and bones, but our, our yeah. intelligence is probably no, no real difference. Just different yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's how that stuff is influenced. I mean, some of the work I've been, I think I've been speaking to you about recently is, um, working with, I was fostered as a child. Um, and between the 1950s to the early eighties, thousands of Nigerian children were fostered in this country, uh, with various degrees of success or failure. And one of the things we're working on now is how do we get those voices heard? Because you're brought up in two different worlds. You're brought up with a clash of cultures. You're brought up with a clash of your own internal identity. You know, okay, you know, I've got this white experience, and then I've got this Nigerian experience, and I'm somewhere in the middle. What does that mean? You know, what is that? What? Who am I? Mm. Who am I? Yes. And there's yeah, a lot of people in that group. Sorry, go on. I was going to say this overlapping identity where you're, you're not, you're not British. You're not Nigerian. You're, you're kind of yeah. a, an ex, an expat in both worlds, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the sad things, um, I've had some stories, incredible stories around it, but one of the stories or some of the themes that have come up from it is, um, people who were taken from England 
to Nigeria and they're in Nigeria for a few years. They managed to get back to England thinking they're coming back home, but they've now developed a Nigerian accent and they come back to England and suddenly realize they don't fit in here. They did. They've spent eight years or so thinking I don't fit in in Nigeria. I'll fit in in England when I get back. And then they come back with this accent and suddenly realize they don't fit in here. I mean, uh, if I use myself as an example, when I first came back from Nigeria, I met up with my old school friends and then sat around with them and realized I had nothing in common with them anymore. I mean, they were all willing to help and engage, but I just thought we're on totally different planets. I've had this whole other experience. Like, you know, everybody has, but mm. there's nothing that connects us. They've all grown up together. They've been around each other's houses and everything that for the past day, I've been in this whole total different existence. Uh, and, and trying to find a way to fit in and connect. It's almost like you have to go back to basics and restart your life all over again and mm. reform so, and start new friendships. So you press pause on your British life. So you did something else. But in the meantime, time continued for everybody that was here. So when you joined back, you've, uh, you, you, you suppressed pause again and started play. But you were eight years behind them. And you go, hang on a minute. I expected it to be the same, but it wasn't, was it? And that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that kind of, you know, that's a beautiful way of putting it, but you don't realize consciously that that's what's happening. Um, yeah, because you you're, you're getting off and doing your thing. Yeah. And you forget yeah, that other yeah. people are moving on doing their own thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a really interesting. Uh, can I ask you, were, were your foster parents in the UK, were they black or were they white? They were white. They were white. So you had that, yeah. that mixed identity as well. So you're a, yeah. a black child being raised in a white family with yeah. not, not racism as such, but race, they weren't valuing your racial identity at that point, were they? They were, they were, no, they were white. No. Yeah. And they used to make jokes, you know, to me like, um, you know, don't send him out. Don't send him out in the dark. We'll never find him again. Or, um, you know, um, you know, was it? We used to watch, I remember watching Tarzan. Right. And they would say things like, you know, that's where you come from in the jungle. You're lucky to be living with us, you know. Yeah. So I, I grew up for the first few years thinking all black people lived in the jungle. And I was lucky to be living in this village in Kent, little village in Kent. And then the other thing about it was I was going to the um, Sunday school every Sunday. Right? And then when my dad kidnapped me from my foster parents, I went from this white British Kent rural life to suddenly in the middle of Halsden in London, which was a totally black area. My father was a Muslim, which was a religion I knew nothing about, never even heard of it. So I was in this whole culture. The food was different. The culture was different. Mm. The, the rules were different. I mean, I remember coming home from school one day and there was a packet of biscuits on the table. So I came in, took a packet of biscuit, took a biscuit, put on the TV, sat down eating the biscuit. And my dad came in and slapped me around the face. Mm. Who gave you permission to put the TV on? You didn't. And I, who gave you that biscuit? I took it from there. You stole it. And it was suddenly I was in this whole different world. I didn't understand the rules. I didn't know what was going on. Right? And you become mm. a traumatized child. Um, but then, you know, going through all those experiences, I think I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, right? Because I know there's a lot of people that had that experience that ended up in the judicial system or ended up on drugs. And I'm aware of people who've committed suicide because they couldn't reconcile those identities. Uh, I'm mm. one of the lucky ones. I've got through the other side and I've come to a point where I can see it, I can understand it, 
but I can also use that experience to help others to understand where they're coming from. Yeah, that, that, that's really powerful. And I, and I, and that, okay, I, I can't, I, I'm struggling to build the bridge here because that is such a, an alien lived experience to me. I'm, and I'm rapidly thinking, cause I've, I've got other friends who are, who are black, who are fostered by, by white parents. And they've again grown up with this mixed, mixed culture. But to, to have that sort of, that, that, that British, culture that wasn't quite right for you to be whisked into a Nigerian culture that again was alien to you at a wrong age then you're trying to put yourself back into the first culture in a different scenario that must have been a real uh, mind-bending sense of identity what's going on in my life you know what's my anchor point here who am I yeah who am I I am Uh, what am I yeah Yeah. Yeah. and that question those questions so go on Jane you do first. I'll let you talk. Go for it. Go right. for it. No, I was going to say those questions are not always conscious questions. Sometimes they're deep in your subconscious. They're happening underneath the surface. Uh, all you're doing is reacting to everything, so you don't even mm. realize that those questions need to be answered. Yeah. I, I, again, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking here about um, the announcement for the BBC last night, Netflix, etc., about pulling Little Britain. Um, Gone with the Wind has now been um, it's now going to be withdrawn and re-released with different narrative around it. And and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, let, let me unpack that. Let me understand what they're trying to say, rather than just have an opinion either way. I want to understand why I've got an opinion. And as I'm th- sitting there thinking about, it, I'm thinking about. I grew up as a as a white kid in the sixties. I'm fifty five, so I was born in sixty five. And the stereotypical racial portrayal of people in the media in society was was very fixed. You know, Tarzan, Tarzan was around black mm-hmm. people running around the jungle in animal skin underpants, uh, swinging from trees, basically monkey type. Yeah. Gorilla, monkey. Then we have Mowgli and we have the Jungle Book again. Mowgli is kind of like living in the jungle. So this whole Tarzan thing we have with kids. We woke, we grew up in a very white, white middle class society. So we didn't see black people or if we saw black people, they were unusual. You go, oh, there's a black person or the, the people who maybe who are brown, Chinese, Indian were performing a service role, maybe in a, in a, in a restaurant. Maybe in in in, in, oh. in a lower paid role. So we were brought up with the telly programs, the Alf Garnets, the, mm. the black and white minstrel shows, the the comedy at the time, and if, and that was just how I was brought up to thinking that was kind of that was it. So mm. my generation certainly, I don't know what how big my generation is, but for my my my, my certain viewers, that I had no other reference point to people who are black or brown than what I was told by the media, and. So now I look at the pulling little Britain. I'm thinking, yeah, I get that because what what they did was they 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 they, they propagated these racial stereotypes. They exaggerated features, and they did with gay people, and they did with trans people, mm-hmm. and they did with mm-hmm. women, and they and disabled people. So that they were literally pulling at the stereotypes and replaying those tropes for comedy. And I thought, well, actually, I, I took a lot of offence as a trans person at some of their sketches. Uh, so I, 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 that's just a small part of the bigger picture, just being a, being a trans person. So I can, I, I've now got this empathy bridge thing. Actually, I didn't, I didn't like that at the time. I didn't like the, um, are you being served the portrayal of John Inman as a gay man, the way they, the way they were using his gayness as comedy. Mm. Um, 
the way that you see drag in, in performing arts is, yes, okay, I understand drag is a performance culture, but sometimes drag to me can also be a parody of my identity. Mm. So I think to, 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 to recognize in history that that's who we were, is it, I, I think it, we need to recognize that, but then we need to put this wrapper of contemporary interpretation of that history and say, this is how the Romans used to invade countries. This is how the Egyptians used to be. This is how mm. colonialists, if you want to call this colonialists, used to be. They used to think they used to think they could come into countries, take all of their assets, give them religion, mm. and then leave. And then oh and take some slaves back as well. And then make and then assume that the, the people they've 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 helped are grateful for that. And that's mm. how colonials behave. And so we can almost categorize our generation as post-colonial, but still living through the, the ill-gotten gains of, of, of suffering and people's lives. Mm. Mm. So that's how I'm kind of framing it now to try and to try and see it. So it's important to keep these statues with the graffiti on it in a museum to say, this is what happens when a cultural revolution occurs. We now understand yes. that this stuff is yeah. of the past contextually happened, but we now recognize yeah. that it shouldn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I totally agree. I mean, that's one of the arguments I've been saying with people that we shouldn't get rid of this stuff. We should have a place where we can keep it, where it's recognized that it, it, it whether we like it or not, it's a part of our history. And at some mm. point, you know, we have to recognize if we don't know where we're coming from, how do we know where we're going? Yeah. Yeah. And there's an important part. Yeah. Yes. You know, we can remove it from, from the plinths and wherever, but I mean, I was watching something about Winston Churchill yesterday and how divisive a figure he was. Mm. Uh, you know, and you know, in some areas he was racist. In some areas he was a patriot. Patriot, you know, he 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 helped Britain through the Second World War. He was an inspiration. He's one of the greatest Britons. So at what point? I mean, what what it what it speaks to to me? It goes back to that very same thing of we have multiple layers to our identity. Mm. You know, we have the Tate Gallery, which was built on the sugar plantations of Tate and Lyle. Yeah, today you go there and you see some of the finest art in the world. Are we going to tear down the Tate Gallery? Mm. Right, you know, where well, is the balance? Egypt, the Egyptian pyramids. You know, Egyptians yeah. enslaved half of that region. Uh, mm. The Ottoman Empire, the, the Persian Empire, all of these people in the past have built mm. countries and societies on, on, on the past. Yeah. Um, and none of, none of us are innocent in that. And we've all, we all, we've all benefited from other colonialism, maybe further back in time. And it's mm. about recognizing this colonialism was a point in time and that we need to learn from it and, and do right where we can. Yeah. And, and I look at it, you know, when they're taking down the statues, I see them as symbolic gestures, right? They are symbolic of what people want to be. But if you really want to look at some of this stuff, everything that you almost touch within London or within British society, you know, I look at that. I said, for example, the British lion. Everyone talks about the good British lion. And you thought, where is the lion is not even a British animal. Yes. So the, the British not. lion that they hold up to be the British is not a British animal. When they say good cup of English tea, where's it grown? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff within our society that you sit down and think, okay, if you really want to go down that road, how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Well, because potato. once you start to open up that door, yeah, <laughs> fish and yeah. chips, you know, the potato, yeah, yeah, the potato yeah. came yeah. from, yeah, was it uh, Walter Raleigh or whoever bought the potato back, yeah. didn't he? And the pineapple, yeah. I mean, all this stuff was ill-gotten yeah. gates of yeah. the colonial sort of uh, yeah. path we led, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of the banking institutions that we respect today were the insurers of the slave ships. And you sort of sit down. So you think that if we want to look at this stuff, you know, how far down the rabbit hole. So I see removal of statues as a symbolic gesture or, or a symbolic mm. recognition of those things, but they shouldn't be the only uh, thing that's done. You know, we pull down that statue. That's it. Everything's fine now. No, it's symbolic, but there is still other stuff that's within the system that is endemic within the system that needs to be addressed. Do you think there's a desire for change now? Do you, th- do you think there is a momentum? I'm an optimist. I like to hope so. I mean, the thing about this that I've had, and I get emotional when I say this, but I've had some incredible conversations with some amazing people and, and white people as well, right, who have come back and they're, they're asking for guidance. They're asking for understanding. And that's never happened before. You know, when, when I saw the police officers in America taking a knee uh, and police officers coming out on YouTube saying, this is not being done in my name, that has never happened before. And I'm mm. hoping that there's a lot of profound moments that are happening. And I'm hoping that, yes, it does lead to something more more significant. Okay? To me, it's, it's opened up the dialogue. Mm. And I think that's the first stage we have to get through. We have to have this dialogue and it's not going to be an overnight thing. I think everyone's looking for a quick fix solution, right? If we do this, have we done it? And it's like, it's no, it's taken hundreds of years to get here. It's not going Mm. to take five minutes to get away from it. It's a gradual, slow process. I was listening to Sadiq Khan the other night or the other day Mm. about um, his his mission or his passion is to sort of look at statues, road names, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I thought, well, when we talk about inclusion, we're not talking about taking something away from you. We're about giving people more. Uh, mm. It's about giving people access. So, so when I, when I was listening to Zadik saying we want to, we want to look at the road names, we're going to this. To me, it wasn't about removing white names. It was about giving prominence to, to the people of color, to black people, to brown people, to people who've helped us in a more modern time and celebrated mm. them. And some, yes, at some point you've got to displace history with, with modern history. So I thought that was a, a, a really symbolic way of saying it's not about condemning the past. It's about recognizing there's a new future and we can use new names to celebrate new things. And I, and I thought that was quite a powerful way of doing it. As you say, it's symbolic, but it's symbolic to me, but for, for, for someone of a, a, a black culture, it must be extremely powerful to see people you celebrate, you revere, being recognized in the society you're a part of. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you say that, it's not about moving to a new future. It's about recognizing an unspoken past. Hmm. Right. It's not about, you not about, okay, we're now recognizing that we were here all the time. All this hmm. stuff had been happening all the time. It's about now recognizing that that was going on, recognizing that these, these historic 
uh, figures were there all the time. We just didn't acknowledge them. Mm. So it's not about moving forward in a new way. It's about recognizing the old way. (laughs) Yeah. So think about, let's just take the last two years. I think two years is probably the the time frame. We've had Grenfell Tower. Mm. And that significantly was rooted in the black community as being the people in that tower, the people that mostly affects. Okay, there were other people of, of, of all races in there, but predominantly it was a, a black people were affected the most in that tower. And that, that was a big, that, that instigated some level of change of building regulations and, and it shone a big spotlight on, on that, on that social deprivation type issue. And then we've had uh, the wind rush. Um, scandal that the unpicking of that. And I watched a, a BBC drama the other night on that, uh, mm. about that, that, that one character and his lived experience. And yes, it was a dramatization, but I felt physically sick. I, 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 my empathy, my everything was triggering. And I just thought the injustice, the way that person was portrayed, the way that people talked to them, the way, the way the, the white people almost had this, this, you're guilty. You're just trash. We've got to get you out of this country. Whatever you say is a lie type mentality. And I just thought we, we, we look in shock and horror about Britons who are imprisoned in Iraq or Iran and imprisoned this, the school teacher over there for being a spy or whatever. And we're, we're looking at the Iranian culture going, well, they're barbarians. Can't they say this nice white girl is innocent or this nice Asian girl is innocent? Yeah. Uh, we just we sit there it's so barbaric yet we in our what we believe is our perfect british justice system we're doing that to other to us to our own people uh, and i'm i felt physically sick watching that and I, I cried at the end of it i was i just sat there i was numb because that had such an impact to the in the travesty that we our society uh, and i talk about our society as, as brits everybody as you me and everybody yeah. we are doing to people and it's incredible we can still do that. And that's that's that was two years ago, three years ago. How? Mm. Mm. I would even and now go we've back. Got, and, yeah. I would go back. COVID, and yeah, COVID's affecting yeah. people in a disproportionate way, and how the BBC imagery of showing the people who died recently was disproportionately white. Uh, the faces mm. they were showing, and you think, are people not? having any sensitivity about understanding the messages that are going out. And then, yeah, finally, this, um, the Black Lives Matter, the things that are going on. It's been a, an evolution over the last two years now of, of, as you say, wait, awakening. And sorry, carry on. You, you were going to say something there. No, what I was going to say is that when people are saying, and you did it there, you know, we were, we were disgusted and we're now waking up. And I'm like, well, who's we? Because some of us have been aware of this and been saying mm. this for years, all our lives. This is our lived experience. So mm. when there's a we, it's not a we for us. It's yeah. You're just finally recognizing the world we're starting to, we've been talking about for years. And that's mm. to me is the difference. But even in the language of talking yeah. around that change, people are still saying we, and we're sort there's not a we, there's a you and an us at the moment. Right. Right? We've so got to get to the we. So what's the, what's the bridge to get to the we then? How can I, yeah. how can I use we in a, in a different context? I would say I'm not, it's about recognize, recognizing the emotion, recognize the injustice, right? And the we for me is people who want change. I speak as a person who wants change and I stand shoulder to shoulder with people that want change. 
That's the we. Mm. Uh, the we that's disgusted and angered, to me, that's that's an us and them because we've been disgusted and angered for years. Yeah, we've been saying it for years. That isn't a we. Mm. That's a you, you and us. But the, the people that want to stand shoulder to shoulder, want to make a difference, want to change things, want to improve things for the better, that's the we I want to be part of. Okay. So can I pull up a table at your Pull up a chair at your table and be we disgusted with you because I, I, I want to join the I am disgusted table now. Uh, I, I want to wake up to this injustice. I, w- I want to I want to be part of that change. So that that's the table I want to sit at. Those are the conversations I want to have, and that's what highlighted to me that I wasn't at the right table. I've always been on the wrong table, having the wrong conversations. Yeah, and and the other part is that be disgusted, but if you're going to sit at the table, come to the table to do something. It's not enough to be disgusted. It's not enough to be angry. Uh, because that can go away. It's almost like the Angela Davis quote, you know, it's not about being non-racist. It's about being anti-racist. It's not about yeah, being no, non-discriminatory. Yeah, yeah. So it's not enough to say you're, you're offended. What do you do with that? Mm. You, you can't take, you can't sit on the fence and take a middle ground. You have to have to stand yeah. for something. Yeah. That, that's the I mean, important part, whatever it is. Mm. I mean, you see me speak. And one of the things I talk about is inclusion is about it's holistic, active and deliberate. You can't be passively inclusive. You can't be accidentally inclusive. If you, by doing nothing, you're saying nothing by saying nothing, you're letting it pass. So you have to reach out and say, I stand for this. I'm being active about this. And I'm, and I'm not saying we, when I talk about holistic, it can't be a bit of, well, you're okay, but you're not. I think it's mm. about recognizing that you've got to be inclusive for all people. At this moment, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, but when we, we also talk about other things in their context, that we can't sort of say, we can't say, well, Black Lives Matter, but trans lives don't. But this, at this exactly. particular time, black, black, we're talking about Black Lives Matter at the moment. So, other things are not relevant in the conversation, but we, we've also got to look at those things in its own right. We're not trading one hashtag for another hashtag. We recognize that each hashtag has its own message, its own importance that we have to amplify. And, and this is going back to that bridge of empathy, right? It may be about Black Lives Matter at the moment, but what happens is once we start to cross that bridge, we recognize that actually other people need to be on this bridge with us. Right. Once we've started to have this dialogue, it says, so why can't we now have this dialogue about trans people? Why can't we not have this dialogue about gay people? Why can we not have this dialogue about, I don't know, uh, people with disabilities? Right. If we can have this dialogue in this space, we can have this dialogue in other spaces as well. Because mm. what this proves is that we can have the dialogue. Mm. That's the important part for me. Yeah, that, yeah. that's good. That, that's so right. I was talking to someone the other day, uh, in an HR perspective. They had an incident where one of their team made a homophobic remark to another member of their team, and they were wondering about how much of a big deal they should make about this. So I, I sort of said to them, "So imagine they punched them. How would you feel then?" Well, that's completely unacceptable. So, so what's the difference between a punch? And words. 
One you can see, one you can is visible, one is physical pain, one is emotional, mental, and microaggressions. So, is there a difference? Uh, and I try to get to understand that sometimes words and language are as painful as a physical punch. In fact, sometimes a physical punch is over and done with in five minutes, and you, you yeah. brush yourself off. And then I said to them, okay, so now we understand that words and actions can have equal impact. If it wasn't a homophobic remark, it was a racist remark, how would you feel now? And they would, oh, I'd be completely abhorrent. That, 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 I wouldn't tolerate that at all. Mm. So homophobia is okay, but racism isn't. So mm. what we end up trying to do is trying to understand that we have to have a zero tolerance for a holistic inclusion. And by saying that we can't, yeah. we can't say that racism is bad, homophobia is good. Uh, yeah. Or not so bad. We have to we have to put everything on the table and say all of this is is, is not acceptable in in a polite and, and, and contemporary society. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's the that's the the dream, the hope to get to, right? And and everything. I mean, one of the things I look at is that I'm not here to solve this problem. You know, it may not be solved in my lifetime. In fact, it won't be solved in my lifetime. But what it will be is. What we can all do is do our bit to progress it. Yeah. And I no, think no, when you look I, at it from, yeah. yeah, just do your bit to progress it forward. We all have to take a step forward and keep yeah. taking a step forward and yeah. keep being visible, active and deliberate about our actions and being vocal and not letting mm. it pass. Keeping yeah. that keep, in, in tug of war terms, we've got to keep the tension on the rope. Otherwise, we go backwards. And that's what we don't mm. want to do. We've got to keep that tension there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I remember having a conversation. So I had a conversation with my nephew a while back, and he's a very vocal, black lives matter, race him in another. And I said, you know what? Do you know how much sacrifice was made for you to have that voice? I said, that's the progress. Hmm. You have that voice, but you don't recognize what has happened to give you that voice. Because there were some of us that grew up in a time where we weren't, we weren't allowed to have that voice. And if we did speak up, we were beaten down. Yeah. That's progress. It is. We're finding is that people have voice now. Having a voice is a privilege. And that's a privilege that you earned for them. So they've they've built, so they haven't earned that right to have that voice. They've been given that voice, whereas you had to earn that voice. So which is where the privilege and and not privilege. So, and yeah, I think when we look at the, the people who are vocal today, they're building on the the struggles of the previous generation and the previous generation, the previous generation. So you have the privilege of not ever, of not a multi-generation apart back from the colonial past. I have the privilege of not being part of that colonial past and living in poverty. So I have a voice because I've got an education. So that's a privilege. But yeah, you're so right that uh, people should remember that they have a privilege by having a voice or the freedom to choose, the freedom to express, the mm-hmm. freedom to not feel they're going to be arrested or freedom that they're going to be treated fairly. That, that again is a privilege, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest privileges for me as a, as a black gay man, I know there are countries in the world where I could be stoned to death. I could be killed. Or I could be in prison for life. I live in a society where I can say I am a black gay man and say it openly. Mm. And that's a privilege. Mm. So, you know, privilege looks different in so many different areas. 
Mm. Privilege is not just about color. Privilege can be about status. Privilege can be about mm. the life you're living. And, and that's what I think people forget. Privilege is on so many different levels. Mm. I, I love the way you just said that about, um, as a, as a black gay, I don't, I don't mean that. I love you could get stoned to death or arrested to be a, black man, a, a gay man, but I, I love the way you, you brought that into the conversation because I, as a, as a, as a trans person, I'm very conscious about where in the world I can be, where I can mm. travel to. Uh, if, if I fly into Australia, where can I stop off? Do I, do I go to Dubai, UAE? Is that a safe space for me to go? Could I go via China? Is that safe? I'm not sure. Um, so I'm, I'm now double thinking my travel arrangements, my destinations. Uh, I, I went, I did some work in the Ukraine. And I, I politely asked the, um, the organ- conference organizer, would I be safe in Ukraine? And I didn't want to put my bias on there because I assumed it wouldn't be safe. But you hear some stuff in the press about gay rights in Ukraine and other places like that. So what I wanted to do was make sure that I was safe. And I, if, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have even been a conversation. I would have just gone, yeah, we're going to Ukraine and, and turn up mm, as, a, as mm. a privileged white person. Mm. Uh, yeah. Cis, het, perceived white person. So... Yeah, and I was at, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm breaking off to my own monologue here. Uh, but I was at this, I was at this LGBT conference and one of the people on the panel who I believe identified as a, a, a gay man said, yes, when, when, when a gay person travels, what they have to do is pack their gayness away in a suitcase while they're away and do yeah. their job, then come home and unpack the suitcase again. I was, and I said, what, well, excuse me. Um, that may be a privilege you have to be able to pack your suitcase, but I, I, I wear my, 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 my transiness, if you like, uh, all the time. Yeah. And the same yeah. way that you wear your, your blackness all the time. Mm. You can't not be black today, can you? You can't say, well, today yeah. I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to white face today and, 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 mm. uh, it'd be okay. So we got, yeah, it's a really tricky thing that we have to double think this stuff that people who, have a privilege of not having to double think, never experience. And that, that's a, a real, uh, a real extra burden to our processing power that we have to live every day, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. It is. I mean, like you, I've done a lot of work around the world and there've been places that I, <laughs> I won't mention the country, uh, but I was going to do a conference there and they asked me to send through, you know, a pen picture, which they put in their conference brochure. Um, and they were happy with the gay thing, right? It wasn't a problem with that. And then they asked me to send a photograph. And I sent the photograph. And within an hour of sending the photograph, they sent me back a message saying, when you get to the airport, you need to wait at this point, and we will have a police escort to escort you to the hotel. Wow. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay, what's this about? And when I got there, they said, there's been a spate of attacks on black people on the trans system, transit systems. And they didn't want to risk that happening to me. Wow. Yeah. And you sort of sit there and you think, wow, I have to have an armed guard to take me from the airport to my hotel. That is scary. The only slight way I can relate to that is when I was in Miami yeah. I was I was briefed by the bank I was working for where I couldn't could go as a white person. 
and and that's I mean, I, I, that's my only bit of empathy. And also in in LA, downtown LA, and around once you get out of the nice bit of LA, as a white person, mm-hmm. I had I would have to be careful as well. So, but I have the privilege as a white person to be able to go with the rest of the places. So yeah, it, it's not. But at the time, I thought, oh, that, so you mean the scary black people down that road? And I've I've been really careful. So looking back on that, that was quite a quite a negative experience because it, it, it reinforced the stereotype that all black people yes. are bad if you're down there. You're, yes. And as a white person, yeah. you shouldn't dare venture down there. It's like, yeah, I'm going to say something which I hope doesn't sound offensive. <sighs> we should never do if you say that. It probably will be offensive. But I always <laughs> felt like there was that was the, the black zone, the cordon zone. Was it like a yeah. zoo or something? Like I couldn't venture in there because there, there were only the bars on the windows or keep the car windows rolled up, put the roof up on mm. the car to venture into those areas. Mm. Uh, so I was almost like a safari park experience. It's like, is this, is this, is this how I'm feeling now about how, how that was categorized and stereotyping these different groups? Mm. Uh, and maybe that's mm. how the people who live there felt about the segregation and how there was that much of a divide between the two communities or the two or the two populations. Mm. But the interesting thing about that as well, Joe, is that you have that level where we can sit there and we can rationalize it, right? We can think about it and we can, but actually there comes a point for some people where you hit that point where fear kicks in. You know, I mean, look at Amy Cooper recently. The woman with the dog. I mean, she was a, an Obama supporter, a signed up Democrat. She was part of so many groups. Yet when it came to that point of fear, that stuff just came up from nowhere. Mm. Well, it came from somewhere, obviously. And there's a wonderful book by a guy called Studs Turkle, and it's called Race. And basically what Stud does or did, I think he's dead now, um, he goes around uh, just interviewing people about a particular subject and he just writes their monologues. And the opening paragraph on this thing was about a guy talking about his wife. He said his wife was driving down this street and a group of black guys started shouting at her. Her first response was to lock all the car doors and put her foot down and go faster. He said it wasn't until she got to the end of the road before she realized what they were trying to tell her is that she was going the wrong way down a one-way street. And he said that my wife would not say she was racist, but in that moment, it came up. And I said, so when we want to do that work, it's how deeply do we want to get to this stuff? Because we can sit in the classroom and talk about it and say, yes, this is that. And that's that. one goes, yes. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actually living, there's those points when you find out who you are, if you pay attention. Mm. And that's where you know whether or not you've changed. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's very insightful. Yeah, because the inner fight, fight or flight trigger is your default inner self, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I had I had an experience in Germany actually. I was uh, I'd left the after party at a conference, thinking I knew the way back to the hotel, and somehow my compass must have been uh, pointed the wrong way because I ended up going completely the wrong direction. I ended up walking through this um, this park, mm-hmm. and my mobile phone battery was dead, so I had my sat nav wasn't working. I had my laptop with me, and I had a couple of drinks. I wasn't I probably wasn't making the best decisions, and I got into this park and it was dark. And as I put, got further and further, it became 
blacker, for want of a better way to describe it. It, it, it became, I moved out of a white district into a much more racial, diverse, and then more mm. completely uh, black territory. And I was walking through this park, and there were gangs of youths, groups of youths. I mean, gang has its own connotations about the imagery yeah, it creates, yeah. but there were, group, there were groups of people who were black gathering in this park, um, playing with bikes, they were playing music, uh, enjoying each other's company. And I, I felt really unsafe. One, because I didn't know where I was. I was lost. Two, I was a woman. They were all men. And I, I have, if I suppose, if I'm, if I'm really honest and reflect, it wasn't so much they were black. It was just they, they had this sort of threatening sort of gangy type in a, in a place. I didn't speak the language, and I was feeling really uncomfortable, and it was dark. And I had to walk through this park twice because I walked through it and then realized I went the wrong way and I walked back through it. And I think my biggest fear was as a woman, not as a white person. So I was mm. conscious that I was now walking through a group of people who were men, mm. young men. And I, 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 I was more worried about it being as a woman than as a, being a white person. And I think that was the and, and I got out of that park and I got back to my hotel and I sat there and thought, lesson learned. I'm now a woman. I, I can't do this. I can't. My, mm. my, I'm, I'm not invincible anymore. I think mm. if I was, if I, in my old life as a man, if I'd, if I'd done that, I'd be more worried about my, my, my whiteness. But actually, my primary concern was about my, fe- my femininity, my, my gender. Mm. But yeah, I, I, that's as you were talking. That's really brought back that 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 fight or flight thing I had, and I was trying to judge it on whether it was racially motivated or whether it was gender motivated. I think it was more gender at the time that I was mm. I was worried about. But I, I projected this stereotype onto the people, saying mm. I'm at risk here from um, sexual violence, for want of a better way, or mm. being misappropriated. I mean, it didn't help that some of them were trying to whistle me and and chat me up and. Mm. Um, and talk to me, and I was like, just get me out of it, just get me out of it. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about that, that's one of the beauties I talk about is that it's not about being perfect, but it's about, I mean, the, the scenario I would give that sort of ties into what you just said that I was on, I'd gone up to Edinburgh to do some work, and it was a great course, great everything. And I'm sitting on the plane at Edinburgh Airport waiting for takeoff, and there's a voice comes over the tannoy. And the voice says, you know, we'll be taken off in about 10, 15 minutes time. We're waiting for whatever we're waiting for. And this is your captain, Mary Jane Smith, right? And it was a female captain. I immediately felt my body tense up. I'm a diversity trainer. I've been mm. teaching this stuff for years, but something about that suddenly for, Oh my God, a woman pilot. Yeah. And I froze and I, I felt my arms grab the chair, right? And then I sort of, you know, it took me about a minute or two and then I suddenly stopped and I started laughing. Right? And my first thought was, where the hell did that come from? Mm. Yeah. And to me, it's about, it's not about the feeling. It's about recognizing. The gift is recognizing when it surfaces. Yeah. And having the awareness to stop yourself and not to keep following that path. And that, that's yeah. the gift for me is recognizing that you're not perfect. You're going to have, you've got this stuff by this, by the very nature of your social conditioning, you have got baggage. Mm. And it's recognizing that that baggage is going to surface every now and again. But are you paying attention enough to recognize when it's happening? 
Yeah. Or are you just following it? Yeah. 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 It's it's learned to be able to question your own biases, isn't it? Or your own panic and and better press pause, step back. Why do I think that? Actually, that's just, that's irrational. That's not logical. Yeah. I'm being, I'm being very, I'm, I'm using my biases there. Right. Ignore that now. That thought can just go straight out of my head. Right. Move on. And it's, it's yeah. learning to learn how to press that pause and question yourself, isn't it? And, and yeah, that is it exactly. Yeah. 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 That is it yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's, it's beautiful it's, when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, I mean, it's been fascinating. I mean, we're, 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 just to put a timestamp on this, we're, we're sort of early June 2020. We're right in the middle of, of COVID. We've just had um, some of the, the, the black white matters uh, erupting around the world. Where are we going now? Yeah, we're, we're coming out of lockdown. Uh, the government's under pressure to let us go to the pubs and socialize, and we're reducing mm. two meters down to one meter. So whilst we're not ever going to change and go back to the way we were, I mean, certainly in terms of what's happened in terms of the, the Black Lives Matter, in terms of the COVID, in terms of the effects mm. of working, whatever else we do. So where, where are we going now? What's society going to look like this time next year? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, if I <laughs> – thanks, that's an easy one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one, yeah. Wow. <laughs> do you know something? Yeah, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Right? I, but I recognize we've never been here before. We've yeah. never, it's, it's almost like, to me, it feels as a, as a black man, it's like we're touching, we're touching the goal, the goal. And we've never come this close to the goal before. It's unknown territory. Okay. Right? Yeah. It's unknown. To, it, it's, it's exciting. I, I love it. I mean, I personally, I love this. The energy behind it is, is, is incredible. And, I, and I'm hoping that it will, it will, it will create something. That, that, that we can't go back from. But I don't know what that looks like. I'm just, I'm just riding this wave. And, uh, there was John Amici. I was on TV with him the other day. He said this thing. He said, diversity is like pushing a boulder uphill, right? And there are those of us that have been pushing it for years and years and years. And we're pushing it. And it's a slow push because it's a heavy boulder. Things like this come along and a few more hands join and it becomes a little easier to push it up the hill. But the question is how long do those hands stay with us? And how much hill is left or how much hill are we going to move up? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the, the exciting thing is there are now loads of hands on this boulder. Yeah. And it's about how do we maximize? And this is where people like yourself and myself and other people that do this wonderful work come into our own. Right. This is where we're now. We're now the motivators. We're now the, 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 the come on, you can do this. We, we, you know, we know what the, we, we want. We've, you know, to use Martin Luther King, we've been to the promised land. We've seen the mountain. We've been to the mountaintop. We know what the goal can be. Right. And it's just helping people get there. Yeah, it's standing at the top, looking down, saying, come on, we're not yeah, far, yeah. we can do this. And then making yeah. sure that the way down isn't full of crocodile pits on the way down either. Yeah, because once yeah. you get over the top, yeah. we've got to make sure that the journey, the other side is is, is safe. Because we, we can't yeah. fall down a crevice and go back to the start again. This is not snakes and ladders where we, we get making all these exactly. gangs and then we drop down a hole. Yeah. 
Exactly. And, and the sad, the sadness to this, and this kind of links into something I was watching this morning is that there are people out there that seem hell bent to destroy this. And you see some of the stuff that's going on. I mean, there was a video that's come out this morning of a group of people attacking two police officers in London. And it is vile. Mm. Uh, the officers are on the floor and these people are dancing around them with their mobile phones. Mm. And you sort of look at something like that and you think, and there were black youths. That was what was so annoying. And you sit there and you think that gives certain people permission to take their hand off the boulder. Mm. And that's yeah. the sadness. That's the sadness for yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, without detracting anything from what you just said, I, I see that in my own life. Uh, it only takes one celebrity to start banding around negativity and it, it then calls into question the legitimacy uh, and plays back into that trope that, you know, black people are angry, aggressive people, trans mm. people are predators. You know, we, we, it allows people to start playing on those tropes to seed that division again. You say, try and removing hats from that boulder to allow it to roll back because they, they've got a protected interest in keeping that boulder backwards, not forwards. So that, that's what we yeah. see all the time. Yeah. Quick question that, for you. Sad. Yeah. If I may, uh, are you aware of the JK Rowling comments? I, 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 I I am, and I, that, as as we were talking, that was the person, and and the fact that Daniel Radcliffe stood, took took in there as well and uh, posted stuff. So, yeah, it's it's the J.K. Rowling type uh, visibility that makes MPs, lawmakers, policymakers kind of scared because they think just because someone's got a high profile, they, they've got a higher mountain to shout from sometimes, and that that that's the kind of person that does more damage. Whereas the and that, but the other the other side of that is it creates angry activists that don't do sometimes mm. the, 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 the the cause a favor because they're they're giving people a reason to to think oh actually trans people are dangerous they're angry they're they're, they're just this that and the other and they you, you almost like reinforce the stereotype and it, it's it, it's it's making sure that we amplify the good voices and attenuate the bad voices and and learning to learning to ignore jk rowling and saying she has an opinion. It's not my opinion. It's not the, the opinion of the world. Uh, and actually, just because she writes good books doesn't mean say she's an expert. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other side of that as well is is about, and I've learned this recently, very much recently, giving your giving yourself permission to be angry. Mm. Right? Yeah, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be frustrated. It's not okay to be destructive. Mm. Uh, and I got that from, I, I had a friend who, you know, when this first happened in uh, Minneapolis with the knee on the track, I was the whole of that weekend, I was really, really angry. And a friend of mine, she's a very good friend at reflecting back what she sees. And she goes, I've never seen that before. She goes, what? She goes, you were angry, but it was a focused anger. You were angry that you wanted, but you wanted to do something. You didn't want to destroy something. You wanted to mm. build something from this. And I think that's the thing is about recognizing that, yes, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be pissed off. But what do I do with that? What do I do with it? 
because that's that's what gives me the permission to move forward. That's what motivates me. If I just sit with it and allow it to sort of like just do nothing, then it becomes destructive. It's about I'm angry, but what am I going to do with it? And I think out of, if anything for me, that's the biggest lesson that's come out of this for me. I have every right to be angry. Wow. That is a powerful close. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Thanks, G. You're welcome. I'm, yeah, thank you. Well, I'm sure everyone is listening. Is going to agree that there's lots to ponder there and take inspiration for. And it's okay to be angry. It's what we do with that anger that's the important thing, how we focus that. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, I mean, you can get in touch with me on my email, which is info at purplefrog-connections.com. Or you can check out my LinkedIn profile. I'm sure that you will have my name spelt on your uh, website or on the podcast. Um, either of those, or you can contact me via Twitter. Purple Wisdom is my Twitter handle. Uh, more than happy to talk there. Or my website, www.purplefrogconnections.com. Awesome. I'm sure many people are going to be in contact with you. It's been an extreme privilege to have this, uh, just over an hour with you today and hear your thoughts and insights. Uh, and also a huge thank you to the listeners for tuning in and listening uh please do subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the inclusion bites podcast that's b-i-t-e-s please tell your friends and your colleagues i have a number of exciting guests lined up over the next few weeks and months that i'm sure you'll also be inspired by remember if you'd like to be a guest then please let me know i'd also welcome any feedback and suggestions you may have to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk and so to wrap up, my name is Joanne Lockwood, and I've been your host today, and it's been an absolute pleasure. So catch you next time. Bye.